Welcome to the Freedom City Church podcast, a podcast designed to help your faith thrive. We hope you enjoy today's message. Um, So this morning, what I wanted to share on was good versus God. Um, And where that kind of came from is the... The prayer that I had or the, the desire that I have to, because you've got good decisions, bad decisions, right? Um, or you've got good versus evil. But then there's also what I was noticing is that you can have good ideas and good decisions. And then there's God ideas and God decisions. Um, and there's a difference sometimes between what God calls good and what us as men call, men and women call good. Sometimes there are things that make sense or appeals to our sense of logic or practicality, but then it doesn't always line up with God's perspective of what is good because he's this omniscient God who sees everything in the light of eternity. He sees how one thing impacts the other thing. So what I'm going to do this morning is just really briefly go through four examples of times in the Bible where... We've got people making good decisions versus God decisions, um, and then kind of looking at how we can sort of tune ourselves in a bit more to get the to tune into God to be able to make the God decisions. Does that make sense so far? Okay, let's see if the clicker works. Hey, okay. So the first one is in the Garden of Eden, and it starts off in Genesis um, chapter three. But then before that, we've got God saying over and over again, it's good, it's good. Every day when he makes something, he says, this is good. Um, And then we have the serpent coming up to Eve um, and giving her a suggestion of what would be good. So I'm going to read that out with you guys. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So here we have that sort of first example of something that seemed good, um, the reasoning there makes sense, right? Like, that, that's a good thing. Um, and so we had that first sort of decision made, and that kind of had its ripple effects throughout time. The next example is when Israel asks for a king. So I'll just read that one out as well to you guys. In First Samuel chapter 8, verse 7 to 9, And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they... I hope if I read the right verses, right? I've got it differently. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, no. But there shall be a king over us that we may also be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. 
And when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, Go every man to his city. So what we had here was the point in the Old Testament where the first kings was started to be put into place. Before that, God was speaking through prophets. That, at that time, was the prophet of Samuel. Before that, you see examples in the Bible of God speaking to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. Um, and you've got Moses and all of them coming through. And so then the people of Israel said, we want a king. Um, we want to be like all the other nations. They've got a king. Um, and we want that for ourselves. Um, and then in the verse that I was starting to read out earlier was the Lord said, Samuel, obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. And then in the Bible, it kind of Samuel goes through and gives the people, this is what's going to happen, this is, this is what's likely to happen, and they still said, yep, give us a king. Um, and so the first king that got chosen was Saul, and he was, the Bible describes him as a, as a head taller than everyone else. He came from a good standing, and he was handsome, and the people were happy. Samuel, uh, Saul didn't end well. He wasn't, um, he didn't end well. After Saul came David, um, and in David we see how God says to Samuel, I look on what's on the inside, I look at the heart. First Samuel chapter 16, verse 7 talks about how God tells Samuel, man looks at the outward appearance, but I look at the heart. Because David had all of his brothers paraded before Samuel, and each person that seemed like a good choice to be king was passed over, passed over until um, Samuel asked his father, Jesse, don't you have any more sons? Because it's none of these. And he goes, oh yeah, there's one more out in the fields. And so David was the one that was the least likely, and God blessed him and anointed him to be king. So from Saul, we had David, and then from David to Solomon. It's a little bit heartbreaking when you look at the line of kings, because you see um, that not all, most of them don't end well. In fact, all of them don't end well. They have moments where they are on track or they're following God, but it's never perfect. And it's just that reminder of what God had warned them. There is no king that's going to be perfect, yet you've chosen that. Um, so then we go to the New Testament and we look at the transfiguration. I'd like to preface this by saying Peter, the disciple, gets such a bad rap because he always sticks his foot in it. <laughs> but we learn so much from, um, from, from Peter. So this next one's from the transfiguration in the book of Matthew. So after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I'll make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. 
this is the one where, you know, Peter basically gets told by God, shut up. <laughs> Pay attention, listen to Jesus. Um, and so we've got again here something that seems like a good idea. Oh, it's a good thing that we're here. We, we can do X, Y, Z for you. And instead, you know, he gets told, no, stop. This is my son. Listen to him. Um, the next, the last example I wanted to use of good versus God um, is in Matthew 4. And this is Jesus tempted in the wilderness. It's almost like a bookend. We had at the start, we've got Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and they were tempted by the serpent um, and by the devil. And then now this one that we're looking at, it's Jesus again being tempted by the devil. So you've, we've got those two bookends of examples. Then Jesus was led out by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I'd be true. And the tempted came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Men shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God... Throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Jesus was the example of how we follow God's plans. What he was being offered there after being in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights was pretty significant. When he says, you know, all these I'll give to you, I know that verse isn't up on the slide behind me, there's an option there for Jesus to choose that and avoid the cross, potentially. And he goes, no, be gone, Satan, for it is written. We see Jesus responding to every sort of logical seeming lie and temptation that the devil brings up. And he goes, nope, nope, nope. So here we see someone who is not choosing what seems good and going with what is the God sort of choice. And Jesus in the Bible so many times just kept saying, because he was always challenged by the Pharisees, um, he kept saying to them, all I do is what the Father tells me to do. All I am doing is that. He was such, um, he was such a, a close relationship with God and listening to him so much that everything that he did, he never bowed to fear of men, even when he knew his life was at risk. He um, never shied away from situations, and every decision that he made was deliberate. So we've got in John chapter 8, verse 28 to 29. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. For I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Isn't that great? <laughs> Wouldn't that be great to kind of go through life and kind of go, I, I know what God wants me to do in this situation. I'm not relying on what is 
um, straightaway logical or practical. And God is a logical, practical God. He's not a God that's just, you know, whimsical and without sense or reason. But there is another element when we kind of lean on God sometimes when all the choices are confusing, um, where we can trust him to make, where we can make a decision based on what he says is good. The Bible is full of examples of things that are God ideas or God instructions that do not make sense to men. He says, tithe, give the first 10%. That doesn't always seem to make sense. If you're short on money, the smart idea would be to save all of that money. But God says, no, give me your first 10% and I'll take care of you. God says, have the Sabbath. And we go, no, we're too busy. (laughs) Um, And still he says, "That's that's a thing to do. There's just so many things throughout the Bible where if we pay attention, God gives us an idea of where he leads us. But then in the day-to-day, how do we know when we're in the middle of a situation, God, what would you have me do? And the best way to do that is look at Jesus. It's like, um, so I grew up going to Sunday school, and there was a joke that, you know, if you don't know the answer, just put Jesus. <laughs> and usually that ends up right. Um, doesn't always work. But we're going to look at the example of Jesus and what were three things that he did. Can you guys see that okay? Cool. So there were three things that Jesus tended to do if you look through the Gospels. One thing that he did a lot of was that he withdrew. He sought solitude. Jesus was followed by thousands He was followed by people that were his disciples. There were the 12, and then there were disciples beyond that. There were big groups. And then even beyond that, because he's operating in signs and miracles, he had heaps of people following him. But Jesus consistently stepped away from the crowd. He consistently took himself away, took himself into places of solitude and where he was alone. So in Matthew chapter 14, verse 22 to 25, the verses read, Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way away from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. After this, we have um, Peter um, walking out to meet Jesus. But what happened just before these verses um, was that Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, had been beheaded. Um, Jesus stepped away from the crowd to go grieve. But then the crowds followed him. They found him and they followed him there. And the verses say he was moved by compassion in verse 14. He was moved by compassion when he saw the large crowds there and he healed them and he fed them. And that was the miracle of the 5,000. After that, we see Jesus make another attempt to be alone. And this time he tells them, all right, (laughs) that's it, now go. (laughs) Um, Because he valued that solitude. He valued that time by himself. Um, And earlier we saw he was fasting 40 days, 40 nights in the desert. The second thing that Jesus did consistently was he prayed In Luke 22, the verses read, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. 
and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. At the start, it says, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives. It was his practice. It wasn't unusual to the disciples to see him go out to pray in the, in the Mount of Olives because that's what he did regularly. But he was such a man of prayer. Um, he prayed and gave thanks before he performed the miracle of the 5,000s. He prayed often and he prayed always and he fasted. Um, the third one that we've got up there is Jesus knew his scripture. For us, we've got the Bible. But Jesus knew his scripture inside and out. Um, as, as a 12-year-old, um, every parent's worst nightmare is to lose their child. You've got to have special compassion if you're Mary and you've just lost someone who's supposed to be the Messiah. You're like, oh, no, I had one job and now I can't find him. Oh, poor Mary. So after three days, um, they found him, they being his parents, Joseph and Mary, his earthly parents, found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Um, and then in verse 52, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Um, there's another verse, and this is Jesus as an adult, and this is after he has come into his ministry. In John 7, verse 14 to 15, it says, About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So here we've got Jesus who knew the scripture. I mean, I don't know if it counts as cheating when you're kind of involved in writing it and, the, and being part of it. Um, I'm sure it is some kind of cheating, but he knew the scripture. He had to, but he knew it. And it was his choice of weapon when he was being tempted. Um, he replied with verses from the Bible. So those were the three things that stood out with Jesus, that he prayed, he sought solitude, and he knew his scripture. Um, yeah. I wanted to now jump to the story of the Good Shepherd in John chapter 10. Um, and in John chapter 10, verses 1 to 5, and then 14 to 15, Jesus talks about the sheep and how they know their shepherd. And that, that, those verses in the Bible has always been a big source of encouragement for me because Jesus speaks so confidently about the fact that his sheep know his voice, that the sheep hear it and they can tell apart. Because quite often I'm like, oh my goodness, am I going to know when it's Jesus and when it's not? And Jesus just speaks so confidently about it. So let me just get there in my Bible. And if you've got your Bible with you, you can turn to John chapter 10. Almost there. Okay, so John chapter 10, verse 1 to 5. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep, by the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. 
verse 14 to 15 that's up on the slides is, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father, I lay down my life for my sheep. This morning, I kind of wanted to encourage you that if you feel like you've made a good decision or even a wrong decision, or you're feeling the impact of that, or you worry that you struggle to hear God, know that he is for you, that there is nothing that we can ever do that's big enough to knock him off of his throne. We see from the beginning of Genesis, straight away God started putting a plan in place for humanity's redemption. We're so blessed that we have a God that doesn't want to keep us at arm's length. He wants to have us close. He wants us to know his voice above all the others. And we see that the way to do that isn't some magical formula that maybe we haven't heard before. It's the same familiar things. Pray, know your Bible, seek solitude, get away from the crowd and silence all the other voices and develop that knowing of who God's voice is. Um, So yeah, so that kind of was today's message. If I can close us in prayer. Father God, we thank you that you are a good God, that you seek our highest and our best. God, we thank you that you do not want to be distant, that you want to be known, that you want us to know your voice. God, we thank you that through Jesus you show a pattern of how we can get better at hearing your voice and that we see the value in following your um, your paths and your decisions because, God, you see all and you know all. Lord, I ask that this morning that we leave knowing that, God, you are always speaking and that you have always got options for us to choose from. And, Lord, we pray that as Freedom City Church, we become a church that gets better at knowing what the God decisions are, that we're not led by what just seems logical or that we're not led by fear of men, but that, God, we would know what you're, um, what you're saying above all else. Help us, Lord, to tune into that and to choose to hear you above all the other noise and to know that, God, you are able to do all things. All these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. That's it. Thanks, guys. <laughs> um, that brings us to an end to this morning. Don't feel like you have to rush off. Stop and say hi to someone. I don't know if there's, any bana- there's some banana bread left if you're feeling up to it. Um, we've got connect groups this week. If you're not part of a connect group and want to be part of one, come talk to me or Dave. We'll help you out. There's also so much information on our website all the things. Hope you have a good week. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Freedom City podcast. If there is any way that we can help you survive and thrive in your everyday life, we'd love to connect with you. If you'd want to know more about who we are, just head to www.freedomcityfremantle.com. Until next time, take care.